Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 235. Today's big Bible question, how are we more than conquerors? Well, happy Tuesday to you, friends. It's been an interesting week for us here in Salinas, California. If you had been here Sunday night, well, actually, it would have been Monday morning, a little after midnight, you would have seen a pretty remarkable sight if you were walking around the city like I was. It was something I haven't seen since my family and I moved to Salinas two years ago, the first time I'd seen lightning in California. And a couple of hours later, maybe three hours later, the first time I've heard thunder since we've been here. Now, the storm seemingly came out of nowhere. I don't recall seeing it in the forecast or anything at all like that. And we are in a very dry season here in Central California. It almost never rains. The storm made front page news, not even kidding, all across San Francisco and northern central California because it was full of lightning and thunder and it was pretty wild, especially for out here. I would estimate that in my hometown of Birmingham, Alabama, we probably have 25, maybe even as many as 35 storms per year that are that intensity or more. Alabama gets the storms, I guess, and California gets the earthquakes. Pray for us, though, because the lightning, something they call dry lightning out here, which you don't have back in the South, at least not very commonly, uh, the the lightning ignited a big fire at about 3 a.m. Monday morning because there was barely any rain with the storm. So within like 18 hours, the fire blew up to over 2,000 acres and was burning bright. And uh, it's only about seven miles from our house. Our kids have asthma. And so pray for us. But seeing the lightning reminds me of Psalms 97 and other passages like that. As we've talked about before, when you look at the descriptions of God in Scripture, so often he's surrounded by fire and lightning and thunder. And Psalm 97 says, The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coasts and islands be glad. Clouds and total darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his foes on every side. His lightning lights up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. Now, interestingly, I first saw that lightning at around midnight when the storm was 60 or 70 miles away and the sky was perfectly clear and cloudless. You could see all the stars and everything. The funny thing is, light can travel that far at night because the darker the sky, the further away light is visible. What we call heat lightning in the south is actually regular old lightning in a storm that is in a galaxy far, far away, up to 100 miles or so. You can still see the light flashes at night, partially because lightning is so bright, but mainly because the night sky is so dark. And it was very interesting to see these flashes and wonder what in the world is going on Because again, not a cloud in the sky. Eventually there was, but I saw the flashes from a long way away. I believe we are, and I bet you believe too, we are in a very dark time in the world right now. Certainly one of the darkest times in United States history. I saw somebody post a meme yesterday that uh, stated they plan on being awake at midnight on New Year's Eve. Not so much to watch the new year come in, but to make sure, 100% sure, that 2020 goes out. There's no doubt this year has been rough, and honestly, there's no guarantee that 2021 will be better. 
But I do know this, you and I, if you're a follower of Jesus, we're called to be the light of the world, a city on a hill that calls to weary travelers looking for shelter in the middle of a desert. And it's dark right now in the world, and the world is looking for hope, and and, and they're seeing Christians arguing about politics and all this kind of stuff, and probably acting much the same as everybody else right now. And what they need to see is what Paul says in Philippians 2. He says, we're to be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation. That means we don't grumble and complain and argue and fight and quarrel like other people do. We are blameless and pure. And Paul continues in uh, Philippians 2.15, among whom you shine like stars in the world, holding firm to the word of life. So it's a dark time right now. This is our hour to shine like stars. Our country is so divided right now on so many issues. The coronavirus is scary. The future is uncertain. People are desperate for hope. And you are the body of Christ with the light of the world in you and a calling to shine like stars as you and I hold firm to the gospel. We are not adequate for that task of shining like scars and proclaiming hope to a scared and divided and anxious world. But as Paul asks in Romans 8, if God is for us, Who can be against us? And you know what? That's the right question to ask in the face of any trial or tribulation or storm. If we are in Christ, then what does it matter who or what opposes us? Now, our Bible readings for the day are 1 Samuel 10, Jeremiah 47, Psalms 23 and 24, and Romans chapter 8. So let's go read Romans 8 and sort of soak up the encouragement, especially at the end of the chapter. Romans 8 verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering, in order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. Now the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it's unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his Spirit who lives in you. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh, because if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, 
not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves, who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? Now if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness, because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to become formed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither height, nor death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen to that. So Paul tells us that we are more than conquerors, and this is not a fluffy, best life now kind of statement. Paul is writing the Romans letter in the midst of a period of suffering. We see that in verse 18. He says, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be reserved for us. Now, he's not downplaying the suffering there, but he says that once we begin walking in the glory that is coming with the return of Jesus, the suffering will pale in comparison to the goodness that is to come. What does it mean to be more than a conqueror? What's Paul communicating here? Well, the Greek word is kind of interesting and fairly informative. It's the word hooper, hooper nikeo. It's one of those Greek words that's like a portmanteau, a combination of two words smashed together like briefcase or bookshelf or otter pop, which is, of course, a popsicle that is made out of otter fur. In the case of hooper nikeo, The two words mean, the first word, uper, means over or above, and the second word, nikeo, is a word that means victory or overcoming or conquering. So what Paul is saying here is that we have an exceeding victory, more than merely conquering, more than merely winning. Now, does that victory come from our own power or ability? Well, of course not. It comes from Jesus, and we learn this in Jesus six and John Jesus sixteen thirty three. We learn this in John sixteen thirty three, where he says, "I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world, but be courageous. I have nikeoed the world. I have conquered the world." 
So the above conquering comes because Jesus conquered the world. How can we be more than conquerors? Like, how do we practically walk in that reality? Now, in asking that question, I want to note that Paul doesn't say we can be conquerors or that we should try to be more than conquerors. He simply says that we are more than conquerors. Now, that's important. We're not making a new reality. We aren't earning a new reality. We aren't, like, exercising our faith so that we walk in a new reality. We're actually just learning to walk in that existing reality. Now, one big clue to walking in and realizing that reality is in the very last two verses of the passage where Paul says, I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we are more than conquerors through Christ because there's no power on earth or under the earth or even in heaven that can separate us from the love of God that is displayed in Christ Jesus. We are more than conquerors because of his love and by his love and through the repercussions of his love that was displayed on the cross, that was displayed through the resurrection, and is displayed by his continual daily night and day intercession for us in the temple of heaven, which Hebrews tells us that that's what Jesus does. He's at the right hand of God in the temple of heaven praying for his people. And yes, that is a wonderful display of the unseparatable love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Now, I love Spurgeon's short meditation on this passage in the victory it promises where Spurgeon says, I love to think of Christ's army of martyrs in all of his church marching over the battlefield, singing as they fight, never ceasing the song, never suffering a note to fall, and at the same time advancing from victory to victory, chanting the sacred hallelujah while they trample over their foes. Spurgeon says, I saw one day upon the lake of Orta in northern Italy, on a holiday of the Church of Rome, a number of boats coming from all quarters of the lake towards a church upon the central islet of the lake. And it was singularly beautiful, says Spurgeon, to hear the splash of the oars and the sound of song as the boats came up in long processions with all the villagers in them bearing their banners to the appointed place of meeting. As the oars splashed, they kept time to the rowers, and the rowers never missed a stroke because they sang. Neither was the song marred because of the splash of the oars, but on they came, singing and rowing, and so has it been with the church of God, that oar of obedience and that other oar of suffering. The church has learned to use both of these and to sing as she rows, thanks be unto God, who always makes us to triumph in every place. Though we may be made to suffer and be made to fight, yet we are more than conquerors because we are conquerors even while fighting. We sing even in the heat of battle, waving high the banner and dividing the spoil even in the center of the fray. When the fight is hottest, we are most happy, and when the strife is sternest, then we are the most blessed, and when the battle grows most arduous, then calm between the bewildering cry, confident of victory. So those aren't just words of Spurgeon either. No matter the current outcome of this pandemic battle we're going through, or the battle of strife and division that is right now besetting the Western world over politics and many other issues, no matter the outcome of the next battle after that, and the next, and the next, there is nothing, no power, no trial, 
no trouble that can separate a saved believer from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And thus there is no power, trial, or trouble that can separate faithful followers of Jesus from the ultimate victory and the overcoming victory and the tearless eternal life that his return will bring. So brothers and sisters, rejoice in that reality. Though the times are dark now, you are a star, empowered by the light of God because you are the light of the world. And though the times are dark and scary right now, victory is here, victory is coming, and ultimate wonderful victory and peace and eternal life with Jesus has been purchased for all who are in Christ. First Samuel chapter 10 verse 1, Samuel took the flask of oil, poured it on Saul's head, kissed him and said, Hasn't the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? Today, when you leave me, you will find two men at Rachel's grave at Zelza in the territory of Benjamin. They will say to you, the donkeys you went looking for have been found, and now your father has stopped being concerned about the donkeys and is worried about you, asking, what should I do about my son? You will proceed from there until you come to the Oak of Tabor. Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there, one bringing three goats and one bringing three loaves of bread and one bringing a clay jar of wine. They will ask how you are and give you two loaves of bread, which you will accept from them. After that, you will come to Gibeah of God, where there are Philistine garrisons. When you arrive at the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place prophesying. They will be preceded by harps, tambourines, flutes, and lyres, and the Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully on you. You will prophesy with them, and you will be transformed. When these signs have happened to you, do whatever your circumstances require, because God is with you. Afterward, go ahead of me to Gilgal. I will come to you to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice fellowship offerings. Wait seven days until I come to show you what to do. When Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed his heart, and all the signs came about that day. When Saul and his servant arrived at Gibeah, a group of prophets met him. Then the Spirit of God came powerfully on him, and he prophesied along with them. Everyone who knew him previously and saw him prophesy with the prophets asked each other, What has happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul among the prophets? Then a man who was from there asked, And who is their father? As a result, is Saul also among the prophets? became a popular saying. Then Saul finished prophesying and went to the high place. And Saul's uncle asked him and his servant, Where did you go? To look for the donkeys, Saul answered. When we saw they weren't there, we went to Samuel. Tell me, Saul's uncle asked, What did Samuel say to you? Saul told him, He assured us the donkeys had been found. However, Saul did not tell him about what Samuel said about the matter of kingship. Samuel summoned the people to the Lord at Mizpah and said to the Israelites, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought Israel out of Egypt, and I rescued you from the power of the Egyptians and all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God, who saves you from all your troubles and afflictions. You said to him, You must set a king over us. Now therefore present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and clans. Samuel had all the tribes of Israel come forward, and the tribe of Benjamin was selected. Then he had the tribe of Benjamin come forward by its clans, and the Matrite clan was selected. Finally, Saul, son of Kish, was selected. But when they searched for him, they could not find him. They again inquired of the Lord, Has the man come here yet? And the Lord replied, There he is, hidden among the supplies. They ran and got him from there, and when he stood among the people, he stood a head taller than anyone else. Samuel said to all the people, Do you see the one the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among the entire population. 
And all the people shouted, Long live the king. And Samuel proclaimed to people the rights of kingship. He wrote them on a scroll, which he placed in the presence of the Lord. Then Samuel sent all the people home. Saul also went to his home in Gibeah, and brave men whose hearts God had touched went with him. But some wicked men said, How can this guy save us? And they despised him and did not bring him a gift. But Saul said nothing. Jeremiah chapter 47 verse 1. This is the word of the Lord that came to the prophet Jeremiah about the Philistines before Pharaoh defeated Gaza. This is what the Lord says. Look, water is rising from the north and becoming an overflowing wadi. It will overflow the land and everything in it, the cities and their inhabitants. The people will cry out and every inhabitant of the land will wail. At the sound of the stomping hooves of his stallions, the rumbling of his chariots and the clatter of their wheels, fathers will not turn back for their sons. They will be utterly helpless on account of the day that is coming to destroy all the Philistines, to cut off from Tyre and Sidon every remaining ally. Indeed, the Lord is about to destroy the Philistines, the remnant of the coastland of Kaftor. Baldness is coming to Gaza. Ashkelon will remain silent, remnant of their valley. How long will you gash yourself? O sword of the Lord, how long will you be restless? Go back to your sheath, be still, be silent. How can it rest when the Lord has given it a command? He has assigned it against Ashkelon and against the shore of the sea. Psalm chapter 23 verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Amen. Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants, belong to the Lord. For he laid its foundation on the seas and established it on the rivers. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart who has not appealed to what is false, and who has not sworn deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who inquire of him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Selah. Lift up your heads, you gates. Raise up your ancient doors. Then the King of glory will come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates, rise up ancient doors, then the king of glory will come in. Who is he, this king of glory? The Lord of armies, he is the king of glory. And may he, the king of glory, bless you, dear friends. Good day and Godspeed.